Hey, Angela here. Before we begin this episode, I'd like to invite you to join our Substack community, where you'll get more founder profiles, exclusive behind-the-scenes content, first access to all my original work, and access to our community group chat. All you have to do is click the link in the description. I love and appreciate your support. It's awesome to see all your comments, email responses, and reactions. I'm happy to share this journey with you. Thanks for tuning in. All right, how do we figure out how to be a stopgap and like support our farmers who were at that time a very vulnerable and still continue to be a very vulnerable community, but also a very resilient community. And so we were like, all right, like what's our role? What's our role in their sustainability over the next few weeks, few months? And then it, the support turned and helped it turn into something that has been able to sustain for coming on three years. You're listening to Honey and Hustle, a video podcast that inspires the dreamers, creators, and hustlers to make a business from their passions. I'm Angela Hollowell, and I'm a visual storyteller based in Durham, North Carolina. I sit down with creative entrepreneurs, nonprofit founders, and small business owners as they share their stories, the lessons they've learned throughout their careers, and how they've worked to make a positive impact. Hey everyone, I'm here with Derek Beasley. He is one third of the incredible trio that is Tallgrass Food Box, based here in the Triangle area. Derek, thank you so much for joining me today. It's my pleasure to be here. Yeah, thank you. So I have a long-standing, I guess, like long-distance relationship with Tallgrass Food Box, and <laughs> I have my own interpretation of what your brand means to me. But for people who are watching this, I am wearing one of their limited edition okra shirts. Derek is wearing the Payback Farmers shirt here. So we're repping. We're ready to go. We're ready to talk about things. And we're going to just start way back, not from the beginning necessarily, but we are going to talk a little bit about what the brand represents really and truly. Because yes, they do have a CSA where they have seasonal subscriptions for food. And kind of contrary to what people really think of when they think of a CSA, it's not just one farm. It's multiple farms coming together to contribute produce to these seasonal boxes. So I really want to talk about how did you guys even create the connections necessary to do something on this scale and provide these kind of seasonal boxes and then going forward into how tall grass food box got made, really dive more into that in a bit. Yeah, great question. I would say that, you know, myself, Gerald and Gabrielle all had similar with well, some overlapping but different relationships with black farmers in our area when we can see tall grass food box and so that we started right at the top of the pandemic and we really started out of a place a desire to know how our farmer community was doing our black farmer community was doing because on the news it was like oh people are killing hogs and people are burning field you know people are doing all kind of stuff because of our systems were so disrupted by the pandemic. And so we wanted to check in with our people and we sent some emails, we called some folks and the response was, Hey y'all, like we're doing all right, but this is a struggle right now. We're really trying to figure out like what's next for us. And so our initial idea around tall grass was not necessarily to erect something that would be something we would do kind of in perpetuity. <laughs> more so it was like all right how do we figure out how to be a stopgap and like support our farmers who were at that time a very vulnerable and still continue to be a very vulnerable community but also a very resilient community and so we were like that's our role 
what's our role in their sustainability over the next few weeks, few months. And then it, the support turning helped it turn into something that has been able to sustain for coming on three years. Yeah, I think all great things start with a question. And yours, what's our role? How can we help, right? Yeah. When people think about agribusiness in general, what they're thinking about is bigger farms. They're yeah. thinking about 100 plus acre farms with the relationship between the person who's actually harvesting the crops and the person who owns the farm being very, very distant. When we talk about Black farmers in the area, that's probably not what we're thinking. We're probably talking someone who owns land, 50 acres or less, who harvests their own crops, who has a very personal relationship with the food that they grow and the communities that they feed with those crops. So when you guys were thinking like, okay, how can we get these people together and help them out, even in the short term, what was the conversation around crops like even then and like getting a way to get food to people in a way that they felt safe taking it because there are so many things that people like people wouldn't take anything from you. You know what I mean? Like how did you guys communicate yeah. how you were dealing with the crops and choosing the crops and those types of things? You know, I think because of who we are as founders, as individuals, myself, Gabrielle and, and Gerald, we have some very strong relate we have very strong community ties and that's just how we operate in our local community. So I think when myself and Gerald had already been a part of the black farmers market before. And so there was already association and a trust that we had in community. So I think when the idea was launched, it was like, all right, people we know are doing something to support a community that we know is important. So Durham specifically in the area in general is pretty, pretty you know, pretty, pretty progressive area. That's a conversation for later maybe, but um, you know, so I think when we launched the idea, it was like, oh yeah, great. And this has been a time where there's a lot of, a lot happening, a lot of violence, public, publicly consumed violence with concerning black folks. Um, and if I'm being honest, there was a lot of guilt. <laughs> there were a lot of folks who were like, dang, how do I find out? How do I figure out? How do I, like, what role do I play in this? How do I support community? And we were doing the same thing and wanted to reach out to our farmers and say, how can we support y'all? And I think that right place, right time kind of happened. And so we were able to provide a place for folks to say, okay, here's a tangible way that I know that I'm building resilience within my local Black community. And I think we we still kind of hold a space for that. We still hold a space for that. That's a part of who we are. We want to be a space where people know that their money is going to support systems, infrastructure, actual individuals, sustainability, environmentalism. It's going to support all of those things in our local ecosystem, specifically as it concerns the Black folks. And so it's not the only place. There's a million places, there's a million ways you can do that. But this is one, and this is one of them. So that's definitely a space we hold. It also reverberates into our values. So we support, we, we use black food from black farmers exclusively, exclusively. We also pay our farmers more than most folks who do aggregation, which is basically what we do is aggregation. We aggregate food from different farmers from around the area. So we buy our food from them at near host, uh, retail prices. So we're buying, you know, we might buy several hundred pounds of one thing, but we're buying it at the price that somebody would pay for it at a farmer's market or close to it. Right. And that's a way for us to kind of build in some pay equity, some financial equity for our farmers so that they can get what they need out of this whole process. And at some point we can talk about the 
what's going our model our business model moving forward which we're, we're doing we're in the middle of some transitions that i think are really interesting that will increase the, the financial economic equity portion of our of what we have going on so i'm excited to talk about that too yeah that, that brings me to a very important question which is how when you decided like you three when i say you you three decided like hey we're mm-hmm. gonna take this serious and it's not just going to be a week or a month or a couple months and we want to do this evergreen how did you guys decide to incorporate tall grass food box is it a for-profit or not profit right we so it took a we actually just recently and recently like in the last several months were formed as an llc um however we still operate under fiscal sponsorship through a nonprofit organization who helps us financially. So there's kind of two arms of it, but for all intents and purposes, we operate as a, a nonprofit organization through our fiscal sponsor. And so people can make tax deductible, deductible donations to our work. And it also allows us to take on grants that help to offset the operations for the organization. So, you know, it's kind of complex and something we've reached out and gotten help and assistance on, and we're still in development on. And like I said, some of those changes, those exciting changes that I'm teasing. And so, so yeah, for all intents and purposes, we operate as a nonprofit organization, but we realize that this is that we want to create are larger. And we also re- recognize some of the inherent challenges with nonprofit entities and like that whole philanthropic landscape of people kind of using those as a way to, you know, get their tax write-offs and increase yeah. their own personal wealth. The nonprofit entities are very much a part of some of the challenges that we have as an economic system at large, but that's our current, our core formation. That is a <laughs> another whole big topic question. For another topic. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I will hold my piece on that. So yeah. anyways, yeah. <laughs> before we jump into these changes that you've been teasing, mm-hmm. one thing that I think is important to note is that Tallgrass Food Box started during the pandemic in 2020, but now it's just the beginning of 2023. So you've had almost three years doing this before you said, hey, you know, maybe we should get serious and document this on paper. And I think that speaks a lot to the community partnerships that you have. So not just the fiscal sponsorship that you have through another nonprofit, but also the community coming together and helping you guys get what you need through in-kind donations and through crowdfunding. Mm -hmm. So I can't remember what year it was. It may have been 2021 when you guys partnered with the Bulls of Durham to crowdfund for a refrigerated truck to help you guys transport a lot of the goods that you guys aggregate. Can you talk to me a little bit about, you know, that conversation? Because I remember the original ask was much lower than what y'all ended up raising, right? And so sometimes I think we as Black people, we as minority founders, we as women, we as whoever, insert here, we don't always ask for 100% of what we need because we may think we may not get it, right? Yeah. So... Yeah, so that's a that's a great question, and, and Boulder Durham has been an incredible ally to our work since the jump, even before Gerald was like working there and as you know doing writing and working with them. But just to make, to clarify, I, it was almost clear it was clear to us almost immediately after we started and we saw the response like oh damn we about to be in this for a minute. <laughs> so we we were serious about it for a while, but. The flexibility of being just under fiscal sponsorship allowed us to maintain some agility uh, as more of a grassroots entity. And so while we were still in what we knew was like a formative stage for us as an organization. So we knew early on, like, all right, this is going to be, 
we knew we were in it for a minute when we start like almost immediately after because of the response, because of we, the possibilities that we saw. But the legal piece just took some time for us to figure out what needed to be next. And then, like I said, the Bulls of Durham, incredible ally for us in this work. And what I'll say is incredible because of what they did and how they showed up, but also and with Sheila and her, like her, just her strategy around fundraising. So we knew we needed more and like the need, right. It's kind of almost ever expanding, but there's like a, she's just got the science around like, this is how much we should ask for. And once you hit your goals, you can increase the ask. So she just knows how to work those machines. And so your organization is doing incredible work. That's a service that the Bulls of Durham offers is crowdfunding. And so they, you know, definitely rock with them because they can help you figure out a strategy to, to get what you need as an organization. But your point, though, around asking for what you need, we've learned that lesson in other and some other situations, too. It's like, you're right. Sometimes it can be scary to ask and feel like you deserve or there's sometimes this shame around asking for money and asking to have our needs met. And that's something that I think we've been able to dismantle in part due to the success of that crowd funding campaign. And so, you know, I think too, another thing that, and I'm really just speaking for myself right now, but I think one thing that, <laughs> you know, seeing the impact that we've had specific on some of our specific farm partners, you know, some are larger than others too. Some are over that 50 acre range and then some are on like a little acre, you know, or less. So it varies seeing some of our farmers being upstarts and like knowing that they wouldn't have been able, they would have had to close doors if it wasn't for our work. That type of impact was like, oh, well then we need to have a similar boldness in how we operate because we're operating not just for ourselves, but for our farmers we're in partnership with. And so I think knowing like the importance of your work and knowing the inherent like value, you know, you're having that sense of self-value is really important. It can help you get past some of the barriers we have around money because money, you know, money, it's, that's, an, that's a, again, that's a topic for another conversation maybe is like our relationship to money as black folks sometimes it can be fraught. I think we need to talk about it right now. You know okay. what I'm saying? You got the paper and farmer <laughs> shirt on. Yeah. You're clearly not afraid to ask anymore. So, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure. You know, I think it is really just what... This is like our kind of our undergirding value, right? It's to pay black farmers. We consider black farmers to be our number one customers, if you will, if you want to phrase it like that. But they're our primary concern. So we have our customer base that supports black farmers. We also have state funding and some other like avenues that we get revenue for ourselves and farmers outside of our customer base. But it's all to the success of the farmers. And so paying black farmers is like our number one concern. At the end of the day, we want to get them paid. There's some secondary and tertiary goals and values as well, but that's where it starts for us. So it's not just about like buying black. It's not, it's more about like the larger systemic challenges that we have around what is owed to us as black folks because of the blood, sweat, and tears that we put into this land, right? Um, and so there's folks this week at the Capitol advocating on behalf of trying to get black farmers paid. So we're just a part of this. Black folks have been advocating and organizing and doing and putting the labor and the work in around agricultural sustainability and around just our relationship to the land for a long time before us. And our hope is it'll be a long time after us. 
And so we just want to contribute what we can to the space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you guys are doing that, doing that in a lot of different ways. So we are going to jump into a few of the changes that you've been hinting at before we go forward, because I would love to hear them. I feel like you've been teasing them for long (laughs) enough. So Right, right. (laughs) Yeah, so we're very excited that we are in the middle of a transition. Myself, Gabrielle, Gerald, we're all, we all do a million things. Um, and we think that now that we've kind of settled a little bit as an organization, but we've been through some changes and we've been through some ups and downs. And I think we're at a place where it's not just a response to the pandemic thing, right? It's like, all right, now we feel fully integrated into the black food ecosystem here in the triangle in North Carolina and nationally to, to, to a degree. And so we're wanting to transition our model to a farmer owned and operated co-op. So like I said, right now, we kind of stand in between farmers in the marketplace as an aggregator. And our hope is to, in the next year, for the farmers to have full ownership and we'll step back into maybe an advisory, some kind of advisory role, potentially, or a way altogether. And so really excited about that. We feel like that's always been kind of this, what we know to be the best model, the ultimate kind of form that we could take. And when we were starting off in the pandemic, there was some value to us having our community relationships established, us having marketplace relationships established and being able to just say, hey, all right, we can, because we're in this in-between generation, we know how to talk to people and we know how to talk to internet. And so, hi, we can prop this thing up really fast. We turned it around in like a couple of weeks from the time we had the idea and the time we were online and taking orders. And so... It didn't take long to get started and our infrastructure is relatively simple and same, but we were able to get access to the marketplace really quick because of our own specific skills. But we think we've built it robust enough to where we know that farmers and other folks we're in community with and our other staff can step in and carry that. So we'll be sending some announcements and press releases and all of that out. But you heard it here first, (laughs) honey and hustle, you know. No, it's very exciting. We feel like this is our ultimate form, we think, if you're an anime fan. This is our ultimate <laughs> transformation. So, Yeah. Yeah. And speaking of transformation, if you will, yeah, mm-hmm. you mentioned kind of the history of Black people and farming in this country. And I think that's so important to touch on because sharecropping and really food entrepreneurs were really mm-hmm. kind of the two first like businesses that black people really got into as free people, if you will, free-ish, you know how it is. And then food entrepreneurs, if you're up in Philly, New York, places like that, if you're a free black person, you're probably doing pretty well. If you're a sharecropper in the South, you're probably not doing as well, right? And even now, like you said, like being an aggregator is really a unique way to kind of distribute wealth within black farmer network right but mm-hmm. even before now as individual black farmers there the profit margins were still very very slim if you are a food entrepreneur now if you're owning a restaurant if you're owning a food truck your profit margins are still very very slim so which is unique and unfortunate considering like farmers feed you right like everybody mm-hmm. needs to eat like these are industries that should not be dying out and struggling as much as they are But here we are in 2023 still talking about people advocating for Black farmers. Here we are talking about land grant use and land policy. Mm -hmm. Here we are talking about like 
how to pay black farmers equitably and how we are creating new models to to do that. I mean, years after an industry has been started, I think that is yeah. very unique to that. And I keep using the word unique. I'm really not sure if there are appropriate words for this platform to use <laughs> other than that. Right now. Yeah. But as we think about what that means for you guys, and you also mentioned how your age plays a factor, Gen X, I think age plays a factor in farming as well. Like land knowledge is not getting passed down in the same way as it used to, because in many ways we are removed from our relationship with our food, right? For the most part, people think of food as going to a restaurant, getting something to eat, or going to the grocery store, picking up a tomato. Oh, that looks good. I'm going to take it home. Like they don't really have a relationship with the people that grow their food. So I mm -hmm. really think one of the greatest things that Tallgrass Foodbacks has done is put the face of the people harvesting your food back in the forefront, right? Mm -hmm. So can you talk about like, Really and truly, too, like how you feel like age and our generations to come are going to play in continuing this tradition that is really recognizing and appreciating our food systems. This episode was made possible with Savvy Cow. Scheduling meetings manually can be so time consuming and scheduling video podcast interviews is no different. From making sure all your guests have the correct meeting link to following up with next steps, the list of emails goes on. But what if you could streamline this process? With Savvy Cow, you can. Take the stress out of your scheduling workflows with customizable reminders, the ability to sync multiple calendars, and more at the link in the description. All right, let's get back to today's guest. You said a lot of things there. You said a lot of things. No, I think that's a good question. I think there's, like I said, our Black folks' relationship to land and nature is something that it varies. And... I think what I've one thing that I've seen since we've been doing this work with Tallgrass Foodbox specifically is that it's just a whole crop of young black folks like getting into this food thing. Like, I mean, even the fact that you got us on here, like, I think there is somewhat of a return to the land vibe, movement, area, whatever you want to call it, going on right now. And I think that's dope, you know, even for me, as like I've been in this food system stuff but like i don't really necessarily enjoy growing food as much i grow some herbs that's really i've kind of like my garden fell off but i still grow some do some herb stuff but i'm really into like perennial like grasses and <laughs> and like landscape design and like how to like like being in the outdoors is like kind of my thing and so i think wherever yeah, we can find quick, an entry Okay, go ahead. Not to interrupt you here, but so for people who cannot see you right now, there are going to be people who are listening only. This guy has like a whole plant sanctuary in his background. So just for reference, like he's really being truthful right now. <laughs> I appreciate it. Yeah. So I think it's, to me, I think the beauty is in like providing entry points. The beauty, a lot of my, and I'm, I think what I've found most gratifying in our work, one of the things is like providing an entry point to the work. For other folks, right? One of my personal values as like an artist and really, or really as a designer is to like make shit, right? And so make things palatable and like understandable and accessible for folks who maybe are looking for an entry point into like movement work or in this specific context, like access to the land, right? And so even with the shirts that I, that we both have on, that's a part of our strategy. It's not just to sell merch, but it's like, how do we like get the language of what we're doing into more people's minds and mouths? 
how do we lift up our heritage crops that, you know, like okra, right? You know, how do we like, how do we bring our culture to the forefront so that people can see, find their place in it? And so for me, you know, like I'm finally like, now I'm like, oh, I don't really, really want to grow vegetables. I always thought that that was like, oh, here we got to learn to grow stuff. And that's true. But everybody has their own role, right? So mine is more of a design and creative perspective and like also organizing people. And so that's what my skill set is. And so how do I use that in service of this larger like return to land movement, right? So in food justice and equity movement. So I'm not, yeah. So when I think about like generations to come, like I said, I think there's, there is, it does feel like we're in a renaissance period, at least from my perspective, even though we know like black land ownership is at, is at a low, right? And we're still struggling for like federal repair around black land laws. It's like those two things are kind of in, happening at the same time, right? And so it's an interesting space, but I'm left with hope a little bit. Or at least around the possibilities. I'm like, the communities I see, people are trying to figure this thing out. And folks are on the ground, literally and figuratively, trying to connect and trying to develop the possibilities around our relationship to the land. So it's a mixed bag. Who knows? And then you could put that on top of like the context of global warming and the fact that we're moving towards more challenges because of that and like what we can grow where for how long. I think there's still opportunities amongst those challenges, but we're just uniquely situated right now. It's like, all right, what do, and I feel like Black folks, particularly in the South, I think we have an opportunity to be, to like step into leadership around ensuring that we have a Black future, a Black land future. And then, you know, Black food and land future for, you know, it also means a food and land future for everybody if we can get right, right. And so I think what we do has implications that um, that ripple out nationally and globally. So it's right. really, I think it's really important, and there's some hope there. Yeah, one thing I do want to want to point out here in your response, and in probably a previous response as well, is your distinction between simply buying black. AKA buying from buying any product, any service from a black person mm-hmm. and buying from a black farmer. Right. And the distinction yeah. again was kind of echoed in that it's not just a cosmetic thing, like where, oh, I need to assuage some feeling that I have. And so I'm gonna buy this and feel better. You know, it's mm-hmm. like we are contributing to black food systems, which in turn contribute to our total food systems, right? Mm-hmm. When those, you know, I wouldn't say the least of us, but the people who are likely underserved when they when their needs are being met, then the whole kind of benefits from that. And I think I don't know. It's way too much for us to dive into right now. But I think we're gonna ruffle some feathers when we think about like, you know, how can we really structure ourselves not just to be retroactive, but proactive in alleviating a lot of issues that, you know, our communities are facing, right? And a lot of that is shared responsibility for how we appropriate resources and things like that from individual levels. So like where I'm buying my food to the national level of like our black farmers receiving the land grants that they need in order to Mm -hmm. be successful and sustainable. And again, like you said, you're kind of 
right there on the ground with that, mm-hmm. but also like lobbying at the federal level, which is very unique. But again, not something you would think of for an LLC, right, as an organizing body. And you guys are, to me, first and foremost, community organizers, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so for people who may be wanting to have that community connection for whatever reason, not necessarily just as farmers or people who are in the food space, but if they are in the food space, right, what does creating those community connections look like for them? Because everybody can't be the co-founder of the Black Farmers Market. Everybody can't be the co-founder of Black August in the Park, right? But everybody can be in community with the people that um, benefit from their services and from their contributions and things like that. Yeah. Now, I, I mean, I think you said it right there. <laughs> I think we'll come back. I, I think I'm all about blind, buying black, you know. One of the things we do through Black Arkansas Park is the black market, which is specifically like a bazaar for small black businesses um, and where people come get wares and all kinds of things. And they continue to do that at the black market or have different non-agricultural businesses that are black that you can patronize. And I think that's important, too. It is there are differences in just buy black and support black folks doing the things in your community that are pushing us for. And that really sounds laden with the modern anyway. We could pick that apart. But I think I'll just speak from from my approach and <laughs> other folks can have their other experiences and approaches. You know, I think a question that I try to ask and that we've asked through Tall Grass is like, what is Let me back up. So like food and land are essential to us as human beings, as animals, as beings on this earth, right? Everything that can be created by anybody or a black person is not something that like we need, right? And so there's like, so I think wanting to be a part of solutions for things that we need to live and that's subjective, but um, there's some basic physiological things, right, that are objective as though like our need for sustenance our need for like health and well-being and community and i think everybody no matter whether it's your full-time job or, or just the way that you live your life it's like we are not just individuals we are people in a larger community and so wanting to contribute to that community positively is important and recognizing that the challenges our community faces are not on it they are on experienced on an individual level but they are but the challenges are like brought to us systemically right and so i think we're plugging in specifically like on the food system it's a whole thing it's not just like going to the grocery store and buying a buying the black owned crackers or that's not i would say the black owned crackers but you know the black owned manufacturer of some other product that we that that is kind of you know, that we don't need, that's unhealthy or whatever. I think sometimes like we conflate like buying black with like, with being like the ultimate moral stance. And I think we can stand to to continue to interrogate that more. Whereas, you know, a lot of things that some things that black folks create are reproducing white supremacy, right? Or reproducing inequitable wages or wage theft or suppressing unions like you know there's there's a lot of things that some black people do that are you know to the detriment of our community but this is not me saying don't buy black but i think it's just saying interrogate 
you know, you interrogate the entity you choose to support and the way that you choose to like be of service to your community. Being a black owned business is not like a moral <laughs> thing. It's not a moral stance. It's a thing that you can do. And but it's like, what kind of business are you doing? And what, and is it creating harm or is it to our community or others? You know? And so those are just questions you want to ask. And so I'm not coming there from like some kind of furious place. Cause some of the work that we still are trying to do is like, all right, we're asking ourselves questions around how much do we pay staff? How are our farmers treating the people who are working on their farms? And so those are questions that we're asking and wrestling with, figuring out our place and like, you know, it, it coming to change around um, and that we're in process around. And so I think that's like a the stand, the moral stance is continuing to interrogate the hows, the whys, and who is being helped and harmed, not just like the inherent, like buying black, right? Even though we do want you to pay black farmers. <laughs> that's a great place yeah. to start you know it's a great place to start yeah. and so there's like larger political education that we need as well and we see places like florida trying to <laughs> trying to make that more challenging right they yeah. uh, states like florida i won't say places because there's plenty of people in florida fighting for to get those black ap classes and fighting for educational yeah. equity and all kinds of uh, yeah, against all yeah. kinds of just in their community. So, but the state, you know, is like saying, oh, we're trying to figure out how we can continue to oppress black folks. So it, it keeps us from knowing, you know, how to differentiate between the nuances and like different types of businesses and organizations. So I'm meandering. I'll let you. <laughs> Please guide me here. <laughs> no, it's all good. It's all good. One thing I do want to say is like what you mentioned around like how you can assess the businesses that you're actively and knowingly and willingly contributing to and like buying mm-hmm. from that's really just advice for like any business anywhere you know what i'm saying like right, right. not just black people it's just like you know why are you touting i bought from such and such i'll just pick on apple because they're just for whatever reason not my favorite all the time but just yeah. like why are you touting that you buy from apple you know what i'm saying like what about this business's values and the way they treat their people speaks to you you know what mm-hmm. i'm saying and that's with anything or with any organization that you know is like union busting, like right. not that unions are the holy grail. I don't think every organization needs a union, but unions exist for a reason. Unions are why we have Labor Day. Unions like contribute a lot of good things in terms of like worker rights being acknowledged in the workplace. So like there is something there that is important for us to acknowledge, even on such a small scale, because like McDonald's may not have started as a billion dollar company and you're organization may not start as a billion dollar company but the way you treat your workers at the onset is going to carry through as you grow and as you scale that's not something that just goes away because you get in the spotlight right and that's just any that's for anything everything you know and it's good that you guys are looking at how your farmers are treating people because i mean on larger farms you know i'm saying they may not be large today but they could be tomorrow and large-scale farming in this country is still not great at all yeah well, you said uh, something about like that helps you as you scale. And to that point, like everything can't like that's such a a modern kind of an industrial like it's just such a kind of a gross concept, like that everything needs to scale, right? <laughs> like yeah. everything doesn't need to keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Like it can't yeah. or it, yeah. and it can't to most things can't to a degree without somebody getting exploited somewhere. So for yeah. us, like you can 
I think there's something to say about like spreading ideas, but that doesn't mean that we need tall grass to be some national conglomerate, right? <laughs> like our food systems and our landscapes and our topography and geography is different, right? In different places, different things can grow. Different systems might be needed seasonally uh, that maybe speak to more preser- like more preservative, more pres- preservation versus like active summer months growing, you know? just different places need different things and so i think what we do stand for is like paying folks what they worth and what they deserve black folks specifically but also like you know what is our local ecosystem what can it like what does it need to thrive and survive and how do we support black farmers rightful place in that and so that can look different in different places and we have you know talked to folks who are trying to start markets we've talked to folks who are you know, we get messages like, yo, can y'all, can y'all ship to, can y'all ship a box to New York? It's like, nah, but we can connect you with black farmers up there. Or if you want to, if you got a group of people that y'all trying to figure out how to get food to people, we will hop on a call with you and we can talk about how that might look because we from Durham, or I, well, I'm from Durham. Gabriel's from Apex, Cheryl's not. Uh, state, <laughs> so, but you know, we're in Durham. And so that's our community and that's where we started this thing. And for like our region and for the, you know, and so we've got knowledge specific to this place. We don't need to be lording over some tall grass food box, Wyoming, you know, <laughs> but yeah. we get, we could give you, we, we can get, we can share the tools to help do there what we've done here, but probably in a different way. So I think that's just one of the things too around us, around scaling and ideas around our model and how we've gotten to the right, We know that. One, our farmers deserve the right to be a part of like a self-determining food economy. And so more ownership and in, into the, I mean, and our farmers exist outside of tall grass food box too. So, you know, but more ownership in this large kind of income generating system, right now we feel like is in alignment with our moral and as well, our ethical position. So it's like, not just the ultimate form economically, it's like us trying to advance more in alignment, more and more in alignment with our values. Actually, to us, maybe start the work. Farmers increase all time. This specific system. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's a great note to end on. I think that was beautifully said about scaling. No, and we're not gonna. <laughs> I was enjoying the conversation. You know. <laughs> And I'm glad to hear that. I'm glad yeah. to hear that. People, I hope people listening and watching enjoyed it as well. Thank you yeah. so much for, for coming on with me. I'm sure we'll be talking more. Yeah, and I, and I appreciate you having me. I appreciate the grace. You know, I can mumble, you know. So I, <laughs> I, I, I can ramble sometimes and start talking about these things. But I appreciate you making this a generative space. Thank you. Absolutely.